Welcome to Ellas, a bi-weekly podcast made by Latinas for Latinas. I talk with talented, inspiring, and empowering women that are living their dreams and making a path for the next generation. I'm Brenda hernandez Caimes, and this is Ellas. Hello, welcome back to Ellas. And on the 18th episode of Ellas, I have the pleasure of introducing today's guest. She's a former internal communications specialist at City and now the current marketing specialist at Amazon's Prime Team. She's also creating space for Latinas, not only in tech, but she's also a mentor at Girls Who Code, where she introduces 10th to 11th grade girls into aspects of computer science and the tech industry. Her amazing work doesn't stop there. She's also the creator and chingona behind Mujeres on the Rise, where she and other badass Latinas provide insightful career and, and lifestyle tips. Welcome, Melba Deyes. Hi, Brenda. Thank you so much for having me on Ellas. I'm very excited to be here today and just very excited to share my experience and journey and pretty much how I went from being a high school dropout to working in tech. It's It's been quite the journey, but I'm very excited to just share my tips and how I've managed to overcome all the obstacles that have been you know, presented or came along my way. Yes, thank you. And I'm really honored. You know, once I discovered Mujeres on the Rise and got to know a little bit of your story, I was blown away because, you know, I feel like a lot of our listeners, Latinas, have gone through that same experience of unfortunately being having to drop out of high school and they might find themselves frustrated. They want a better life for themselves, but they don't have that empowerment or don't know how to take onto that path, right? And I'm really excited to just share your story and, you know, give that same advice that you, you know, lived and, you know, you're a great example that this can be done, you know? And Thank you so much. I, yeah, I appreciate that. And I, I strongly believe that it doesn't really matter where you start. That what, What's important is that you do and that you just put yourself out there, you yeah. know? It's my Definitely. biggest tip, I guess. And so let's start, you know, I, I want to um, ask you a question of how do you define yourself? How do you define Melba? You know, we're living in a current political climate that is against Latinos, that is against women. And as a Latina, you know, we have those two obstacles faced towards us. And people automatically assume that Latinas are of a certain, you know, they place us in a stereotype. And you live, you working in the tech industry and having lived what you lived through. How do you define yourself as Melba? Well, I definitely define myself as, and we had this conversation before, but I definitely define myself as chingona. But at the same time, I think all women are chingonas. You know, it's all about tapping into that power that we already have within ourselves. And, you know, people tend to think that women, that we're soft and that we are just meant to provide to others. And this might be just like a, a general stereotype that Latinas face is that we're there to provide for others. But we cannot forget, we cannot forget about the biggest person that we have to provide for is ourselves. And we need to learn to love ourselves and to really give ourselves the time and to put ourselves out there. It all comes down to putting yourself out there. And if we can learn to ignore and to really just, I, I, I kind of, I, I don't know how to put it, but how to put it correctly, but 
really just tell that voice inside of us that it's wrong, that we are meant to do more, that we're meant to be more and prove ourselves wrong. You know, and I spent a lot of time when I was younger trying to prove everybody else wrong, trying to prove, you know, bad friendships wrong, trying to prove people wrong that didn't believe in me because I was a woman or because I was Latina or because of my background. But now I've come to a point in my life where it's no longer about trying to prove others wrong. I'm trying to prove myself wrong and all those negative voices that, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I still have today voices Mm -hmm. that tell me that I am not capable or that I am not strong enough or smart enough. I go through this all the time and and I'm, I'm trying to overcome that, but it's no longer about other people. It's about myself. And that is such a relief in and of itself. Yes. And I, I feel like I definitely resonate with that, you know, younger, having to tell people that I wasn't the stereotype they, they thought of me or of my community. <laughs> and it was just draining. And then now having, it's really a hard work getting to that point. And you tell us how, how was it growing up in Texas, in Monterrey? Because you, as a child, I know, lived through Mexico and U.S., so it must have been a very mind-opening, eye-opening, and just different experiences living through that. So can you, can you share with our listeners how it was living in two countries back and forth, and, you know, how was it like And before you deciding to drop out from high school? Yeah, of course. So that's, that's an interesting story. So basically, I grew up in a single-parent household with my mom and my two sisters, and my mom you know, being that she was raised in Monterrey, Mexico, she she never could decide where she wanted to be. She saw, obviously, the advantages of being in the United States, but at the same time, her heart belonged to Mexico. So we spent all our, all, I spent all my childhood going back and forth between the two. And if I'm honest, that was very challenging because I never quite felt like I could fit in in either place. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was half uh, accustomed to the things in Mexico, but half accustomed to things here. So it was very difficult to make friends and everything because I was like, I was in, I, I don't know how to say it. I was half and half, I, mm-hmm. I guess that's the best way to put it. And it was, it was very difficult, especially because I was always switching schools and I never quite learned U.S. history. I never quite learned Mexican history. And it was, it was, it, it was challenging. It was challenging, especially once it came to going to college because I did end up dropping out of high school in order to help out my family financially. And when I got to college, I found that everything that I didn't actually learn while I was in middle school and high school, I was having to tap into now. So it was pretty much like starting from scratch. Like, yes, I did it well enough to pass the GED, but that doesn't mean that I had, you know, a great understanding of U.S. history. And so I had to go back and learn everything all over again. So it was definitely a lot of challenges. But at the same time, I try to remind myself that if I hadn't been exposed to those challenges, I would not be the person that I am today. And at the end of the day, of course, my mom was doing the best that she could to raise three daughters on her own. And because of that, I I opened my eyes to a world of, you know, struggle and financial financial insecurities that really allowed myself to to learn and to put myself out there even further so that I wouldn't be in that situation mm-hmm. myself when I was older. So at the end of the day, we have to embrace our obstacles and our challenges because they form a part of who we are, and it's what makes us unique. Yes, and can you share those obstacles? Because, you know, I, I feel like our listeners might be going through that of, you know, they find themselves wanting to uh, help out their parents, and they have to drop out of school, and going into retail, 
and working and helping with, you know, payments. When was that moment for you when you were like, I can't do this anymore. I have to go back to school. I have to do my GED. When did that obstacle come to your path and you decided, yeah, I have, I've had enough. I want to do more out of my life. That's a good question. So I quit high school when I was 16, right? And Mm -hmm. I had to get a job. And I immediately, the the first job that I got was, I think, at Little Caesars. I was helping out in the restaurant um, making pizzas. And then later I got a job at a call center. And that's really where I got that eye-opening moment is I was in a call center at AT AT&T, actually. And we were having a, a conference. It was a sales conference. And I see this woman. She was traveling to Austin from Dallas see this woman that looked completely well put together, beautiful. I mean, she was everything that I could have could hope to be. And I remember thinking like one day I want to have my life as put together as hers. Right. And it was this eye opening moment. She was great at public speaking, great at communications. And she just, I mean, she was amazing. And so I started to do some research on her and I found out that she was in marketing and it was like this eye opening moment for me because I realized just because I am here now and I'm having to take back-to-back calls in an environment that I wasn't completely satisfied in doesn't mean that I can't do more later in life. So I immediately went and I started taking classes to take my GED. Um, found out that I wasn't too fond of the classes, if I'm, if I'm to be honest. And I was like, you know what? I can do this on my own. Started studying by myself, mm-hmm. took the test, passed on the first try, luckily. And, and then from there, I thought, I'm going to get you know, I'm going to go to grad to undergrad and I'm going to get my degree. Um, I still had to work throughout that time because I still had to pay bills and I had responsibilities. I worked a full-time job 40 hours a week while going to college as a full-time college student. So I was taking, I think it was 12 credits to be a full-time college student, if I'm not remembering incorrectly. But um, yeah, it was ter- very difficult because I went to school from 6 a.m. to 4.30 a.m. I was working a 4 by 10 which means I would work four days out of the week, 10 hours a day. So I would go at 6 a.m. to 4.30 to work, and then from there I would go to college. And I was there in, in school between 5.30 to 9.30 every single day. So, I mean, it was very, very difficult. But at the same time, if I'm honest, I felt like it kept me so busy that I didn't really have a moment to stop and sulk in all of the mm-hmm. in all of the pain. It was just like I didn't, I didn't have time to to complain about it. It was just like, go, 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 get it done. And I did. And then after that, I was like, you know what? I'm not stopping now. I'm going to go to grad school. I'm going to get my master of science and marketing. Started studying for all of those tests for the GMAT and the GRE and did that and managed to get into my top choice. So that was, it, it was quite an experience. And, you know, I, we don't know each other personally, but just hearing your story and reading what you, you know, sent to me, like, I felt so proud. I, I'm so proud of what you've accomplished. And <laughs> it's, it, it, where there's a will, there's a way. And you're a great example of like, if, if you want it, you can work towards it and you can have it. Like going full-time student, also a full-time employee and getting your master's and then working in Amazon's like, come on. Like there's, I know there's obstacles in our way, but if if there's perseverance, you know, you, there's able, there's a way to accomplish it. Definitely. You just, you studied communication. How was, and I also, you know, I, I studied communication myself and I want to know the reason why behind the, uh, choosing that career path. Was it because of this 
um, women that came to AT&T that you're like, oh, you know, I need to follow her footsteps in order to be where she is? Or was it, were you always interested in that area or? Okay, so I'm going to be completely transparent with everyone. Um, So I went through a lot of phases where I, I didn't quite know exactly what I wanted to do. But one thing that has always been a constant in my life is that I love to write. I absolutely love it. And I just think the power of words and communication as a whole, it's just, it's something else. And it doesn't really matter what industry you end up in, whether you are an engineer or, you know, you're a doctor. Having good communication skills can get you very far in life. So I decided, I think I was about 16 when I decided communications was a good baseline for anything that I wanted to do. So it didn't matter if I ended up deciding to be a lawyer or deciding to, you know, own my own business. Communication was going to help me. So I figured I would do that. There was a point in my life where I thought I wanted to be a journalist. And when I took journalism classes in college, they were making me write about sports. And I was like, oh, no, like, this is not the life for me. I am not doing it. And then I also found out that you had to, you know, as an entry-level journalist, you had to be willing to go to you know, interview people at 3 a.m. or 2 a.m. And I I was like, no, like, this is not going to happen. So I started to do more research and more research. And I went through a lot of phases. At one point, I did want to be a lawyer because I wanted to help within, like, the child support system. Um, That was another, uh, that's a whole other story. But ultimately, after a lot of research, and yes, after having met that, that woman, I realized that marketing was a great avenue for me because not only would I get to use my communication skills and get to work with customer-facing issues, but at the same time, I got to put my business hat on, which, you know, in my business suit and, you know, just go out there and kick ass. So yeah. that's ultimately how I ended up, how I ended up in that industry. And so you chose marketing after that. How did you approach the tech industry? Was it while you were studying mark, um, your master's that you wanted to step into this industry? Or was it before, during your bachelor's? Uh, how did that interest um, spark in you? Okay, so when I was in grad school, there was, grad school is an experience that I don't think people necessarily, unless you've been through it, you don't understand how difficult it actually is. It is very difficult in the sense that there is so much pressure and there's a lot of competition between your cohort. So there was so much competition about who was going to get the best job. And people wanted big names on their resume. They wanted big tech companies. And I think that's how the, if I'm honest, that's how it started. I wanted to get out of there, you know, working at a big company. And honestly, I felt like I deserved it. I had been working since I was 16 and I wanted to have that big name on my resume so that I can say I did it. You know, all all of this work and all of these sacrifices weren't for nothing Mm -hmm. because I did sacrifice a lot. You know, going to school and college, that meant that I did, I often didn't go out on the weekends with friends. I didn't have time to socialize. It was always work and school, work and school. And I felt that because of all of that hard work, I deserved it. I actually interviewed for another tech company before I got the job at Amazon, and I worked so damn hard to get that job, so damn hard. I Honestly, it's, it's an understatement how much work I put into it. I worked on my resume. I built a portfolio. I networked to meet people at that company when I knew absolutely no one, and I gave it my all and my heart. And I was so disappointed when I made it to the last round of the interview. So there's about five or six rounds of interviews. And I made it all the way to the last round when I ultimately was told that I didn't have enough experience for the job. 
and that was like heartbreaking like my heart melted i i fell apart i ended up getting another job in the healthcare industry and if i'm completely honest i spent i was still soaking over that job i was still i was still mourning and it it's it's crazy to think about the possibility of mourning for the you know the for a job that you'd never even had but that's how i felt i felt broken inside because i gave it my all and it it took me a long time before i was able to finally gather up the courage to try again and i applied to amazon after that and you know i got out of that interview and i remember specifically i got out of that interview and it was the six six um tier interview process i got out of that final stage i called my husband and i told him look I killed that interview just like I killed the last one. That's how confident I was. I'm like, I killed that interview. If I do not get this job, I seriously don't know what these companies want. Like, I I'm going to seek another industry if I don't get this. Lo and behold, 3 days later, I got the job offer and I'm like, Ugh. like I knew I had done well. Yes. And you know, it's just one of those moments. It's not to be cocky or anything, but you know when you give your all to something, you're like, I deserve this. And if I don't get it, it's not me anymore. I'm sorry, but it's you. Exactly. Yes. And I I want to I want to go back and you said something really important that you didn't back in communications you didn't you had no idea what you wanted to do in life and it was really great that you found that purpose of communications and that baseline of helping you go to the goal of being in tech industry. Once in marketing, can you share to our listeners who are maybe thinking of getting a master's degree but they don't know if they if it's for them. You said that not for it's not for everyone. And can you go more into that of like why should let's say I why should I take a uh, master's degree? What do I need to tell myself to do or to want in order to pursue that because it's putting that financial financial debt on myself as well and that the time, you know, to to do the focus on. Yeah, that's that's a good question. So, here's what I've learned. A a master's degree is not going to get you a job. Somebody that has just a bachelor's might get a job over you. But what a master's degree will do is open doors for you. I can tell you for a fact that I would not have gotten that interview at Amazon if I didn't have a master's degree. And this is a conversation that I later had with my hiring manager. She told me that she specifically looked for people with masters, and that's what got me the interview. Although the master of science degree may not have gotten me the job because, you know, having a masters is no guarantee that you're going to kill it in an interview. Mm-hmm. It did open the door for me. So, I would say to think about where you want to be long term. If you do want to be in a leadership position or if you do want to work in top tier tech companies, it's always a good idea to have those type of skills or that type of degree to put on your resume and set you apart from the competition. Because although it isn't everything, it is a very big differentiator between the competition. And when you're working when you're trying to work into in big tech companies, there is a lot of competition. So you need to think about all the little things that you can do on your resume to make you stand out as a candidate. Yeah. Thank you for telling us that, you know, thanks to the hire manager telling you, "Oh yeah, the filter was having a master's degree <laughs> and you were able to cross that first filter, right? Of these getting the first interviews." And can you also talk with us about what did you prepare for the the, the interviews in Amazon? You said that prior in the tech company that you were you were interviewing for, you networked, you you know put so many work into your resume, and for our listeners who are you know 
wanting to be working in the tech industry or are looking for their next job and they're in the interview process, what do you recommend? Can you share what you did for your resume, for networking, for interviews, all that, all that story? So first and foremost, yes, your resume. I feel like people often, I actually do resume consultations on the side. So one of the biggest things that I find is that people often undersell themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's all about how you position yourself and the story that you're telling. So in a way, if you think about it, we are all marketers. How you present yourself day to day, that affects how other people are going to perceive you and your work ethic. So it's important that when it comes to your resume that you're not selling yourself short and that you're listing out your accomplishments and more importantly that you're leading in with a strong profile. So there should always be a profile section on your resume that's pretty much a summary of all of your qualifications. And the reason this is important is because recruiters often take about seven seconds to look at a resume and they have so many to look at and if they're not seeing all of the keywords up front, they're just dismissing it and you're never even getting a chance to talk to someone. The next piece of advice that I would have, and this is more so once you've already gotten the interview and you've already made it past that stage, is to think about building a portfolio. Most people think that portfolios are only for architects or people that are in design. But me as a marketer, if I come to an interview with a portfolio and because a portfolio is often underrated, there's no one else that's likely to show up to an interview with a portfolio. I'm the only one that put the effort to do that. So at least if you are, no matter what industry you're in, if you show up with something that nobody else has, it really shows that you care and that you put in the work. And it's, again, setting you apart from the competition because people might forget about your qualifications. When it comes to interview deliberations, you have to think that people are getting together as a group. So let's say you interviewed with um, five people. Often what happens, at least in the tech industry, is that these five people will come together to talk about how you did as a candidate. And they may, may very well forget where you went to school. They may forget the companies that you worked on. But if you gave them something tangible, like a portfolio to hang on to, or if you made a huge enough impact with the way you presented your story, that's not something that people can forget easily. And that's what you want to leave people with. You want to leave them with a strong story, so think about your elevator pitch, and leave them with something tangible, which for me, I definitely recommend a portfolio. Awesome. And you said something of a word, elevator pitch. For our listeners who are not maybe aware of that, can you explain to us what that is? Yes. So an elevator pitch is between a 30, 30 seconds to a minute, I would say, of a story about yourself, who you are, what's driven you, a little bit about your past history, but it's just all very consolidated. And it's all, again, about telling people that story. So... Um, so yeah, it's just about thinking about what you want people to know to leave them with a good impression mm -hmm. of yourself. Awesome. And now let's go back. I, I want to go back to you because I feel, yes, your story is amazing and inspiring. <laughs> Thanks. You walk out of the Amazon interview and you call your husband. You're like, I got this interview and I know what you're talking about. I, I've, I've been through that. I've been through the interview process of my current job where I went out of the interview and it's like, the second interview, I was like, I got this job. This job is mine. And I did. And it was because it wasn't because you were thinking or all that. It's because you, you know you did well and you demonstrated the best that you can be and to show them. So you walk out of that interview. Can you share the first month of working in Amazon, what you do, how it is working with the Prime team? Because you had to move from... Texas to Seattle. So 
can you share that whole transition of moving to another state and just how was it? Okay. So hopefully I don't give you more information that you want to know, but okay. So here's what happened. Um, before I got the job at Amazon, my husband had actually just been offered a job at Tesla in California. So when he had already accepted that job offer and then a week later or two weeks later, I get the job offer at Amazon in Seattle. So we were, those first two weeks, we were confused out of our minds. We did not know what to do because he had gotten a job in California. I got one in Seattle. We were in Texas at the moment. Obviously, we didn't want to be apart. And my husband did something that I know a lot of men wouldn't do, but he ended up going back to Tesla and telling them, you know what, I'm sorry, but I can't take this job after all because I need to go with my wife to Seattle. And, and see, the interesting part is that he already had a job. When I got the job at Amazon, I was unemployed. So it was kind of like, I, it was too good of an opportunity to pass up. So in the matter of two, two and a half weeks, I want to say, we packed up all our stuff and we just moved. He had never been to Seattle. So we got here and it was like a completely new territory for him. I had been here for what, half a day for my interview. That was it. So it was definitely quite the quite the experience and it was very difficult because I'm the first of my family to leave Texas and it was difficult for them and it was difficult for me to have to tell them that I was doing it but I just knew in my heart that it was something that I had to do I had to do it for myself so I moved here started at Amazon was really super excited that first day as you can imagine I was snapchatting the entire building and the campus and everything like look at me I work at Amazon of course super proud of myself and then I get to the prime team after that one day of orientation and like imposter syndrome just starts kicking in. I'm surrounded by such brilliant individuals that just, they're so good at what they do. They're so good at what they do. And they've, um, you know, they have these amazing backgrounds, not just in career wise, but academically. And I start to doubt myself. And, and I think that happens to a lot of people in tech, but especially as a woman, right? you start thinking that you just perhaps slipped through the cracks. And that's what I thought. I thought, man, I just slipped through the cracks. They're going to notice that I really have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just winging everything here. And that's how it is at the beginning. It's this learning experience where you are constantly just winging it. But you need to be willing to take those challenges and to take those risks and bold enough to make mistakes. I know that sounds maybe a little bit weird, but I think a lot of times we're just afraid of making mistakes and you really have to own up to them. If you're not making mistakes, it's because you're really not trying and you're being too cautious in what you're doing. And unless you're making mistakes, you're never really going to learn. That's how you really learn because it makes an impression on you that you're like, oh, wow, like this is how I should have approached it. So it's a lot of learning. And I think it took me about, if I'm honest, about four months to finally realize oh, I actually know what I'm doing. I actually got this. I'm good at this. I, I, I can do this. But um, yeah, it's all about just putting yourself out there and not being afraid to make mistakes, to ask questions, and really just take the amount of time that you need because everybody learns things differently. And for me, I had to sit down at home. I had to write down steps because I learned by writing things down. Once I wrote them down, it was like, it's just, it's stuck in my mind and it's harder for me to forget things. So just find out what works for you and go from there. Wow. I I didn't know about that. I didn't know that, you know, <laughs> your husband had to turn down the opportunity in Tesla. Not many not many people have that great support system, you know, that partnership. 
And it's, it's really good, good and amazing to hear that, you know, your husband, you know, was there for you and he moved to Seattle with you to make your dream come true, to help you make it much easier. And I'm really glad that's, that happened. And can you share, since working in Amazon, what are the biggest highlights that you've, that you've worked for? And maybe the lessons that, yes, those mistakes that you did, but you, you're a better person or a better marketeer now because of it. Can you share those? Sure. Yeah, let me tell you. So the, the, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is that it's important to push back. Um, when I was new, I was, of course, trying to prove myself and show people what I was capable of. And because of that, I was often just saying yes to any request that came my way. And I can honestly say that that's a mistake. It's very important that you analyze what's being given to you and to see if not only you're going to be able to drive value towards that goal, but also if it's even worth your while. And, you know, when you're new somewhere, people are often trying to, and then this isn't specific to Amazon, of course, but people are trying to give you as much as they, as they can so that you, because they know that you're new and that you're going to take it up, right? But it's important that you're only taking on things that are actually going to drive value. So don't be afraid to push back. Even if it's your manager that's asking you to do something, if you don't feel comfortable doing something because either you lack the knowledge, you lack the skills, or it's something that's not out that's outside of your area of expertise, don't be afraid to say that. Or even if you th- if you think it's something that's not going to drive value towards the company or towards the goals, say no and push back. Don't be afraid because at the end of the day, when you're getting hired, you're getting hired because of your mind. And if there's something that's just not sitting right with you, it's important that you voice those concerns. Um, that's definitely the biggest lesson that I've learned, and that's my biggest takeaway. The second lesson that I learned is that it's very important for you to keep track of everything that you are doing, not only for your own personal, for your personal sake, and so that you have something to reference to reference going forward professionally, but also so that you have something to leverage when it comes to seeking out other opportunities. So, if you, let's just say, at, you you want to ask for a raise. If you have documented everything that you've done to drive value toward towards the company, that's a great thing that you can then leverage to ask for a raise. So definitely tip number two, keep track of what you are doing and always tie it back to results when possible. And tip number three is definitely to have a support system within your team. Find somebody that you can relate to, find a friend, have somebody that you can actually vent to because there are going to be moments that are very difficult. And if you don't have somebody that you can run out to Starbucks with and grab a coffee and just let out all your frustrations with, it's going to be very difficult. In other words, you should not never be doing this alone. You always need to have somebody there to support you. Awesome. Yeah. And I feel like our listeners can take that and I can take that too. And because we we're we're in this, we're working and we sometimes forget, right? We sometimes, um, because we're new or we want to make the collaboration easier, we say yes to everything. Or we're afraid to ask for that raise, right? Or it's it's very easy to forget and to put ourselves in a place where like, well, maybe I don't deserve that raise or maybe I'm asking too much or no, no, I, sh- I should say yes because I don't want any conflict, you know, coming exactly. And... Since your time in Amazon, can you share the biggest, you know, accomplishments that you've done that you're proud of? You know, not only have you accomplished working here, but, you know, you 
made a project successful and you were able to maybe maybe not share the specific project but something around that maybe can you share yeah sure i could actually share one um it's actually not completely finalized yet but in about two weeks there's going to be a new landing page on amazon so I, I guess let me give a little bit of context first. Um, I create content that lives on the Amazon.com website, mm-hmm. and this content is meant to engage our customers and to keep them, you know, excited about what we're doing and what we have to offer through Prime. And I'm actually working on a landing page, and I've seen this project from start to finish, or I will see it from start to finish in about two weeks once it's completed. But it's going to be a brand new landing page. And what's really exciting about this project for me is that I actually worked on everything from the design aspects to the wireframe. So I created this landing page that was completely non-existent and I worked on the copy that's going to live on that page. What illustrations are we going to have? How are we going to target these customers? It's just, it's very exciting. Once it's completed, for those of you that want to follow me on LinkedIn, um, just go ahead and search my name. I'm going to share that landing page there, but it's just very excited, exciting to take something that you built yourself and that you've worked with so many cross-functional teams to, to see it come to light. So I'm very excited about that, and that's what's really keeping me engaged these next two weeks at work because I really want to see that finalized. Oh, that's amazing to hear. And definitely, like, once this interview goes live, it'll, it'll be in October, so definitely that that landing page, you know, I'm going to link it. I'm going to link to it so our listeners can see it. And you were the, you can see the project manager of this project, right? Of this landing page, correct? Yes, yes, definitely. So, you know, we don't have to talk about specifically about this um, Amazon project, but maybe of your prior um, work, were you able, were you ever a manager and delegating responsibilities? Have you ever encountered that obstacle of the people in your team saying no to you or giving you a hard time or of, on delivering on time or doing the work correctly? If, if so... How were you able to make that collaboration be as smooth as possible? Because if you work with men mostly in in your careers, you may sound as you're maybe ordering people around, bossing, and then you're yeah you're considered as like the bossy, let's say bitch, obviously. And <laughs> can you share some tips on how? You were able to smooth that collaboration and maybe reminding that you weren't bossing people around, but just giving responsibilities because the work needed to be done. Uh, if I'm honest, I've, I've, luckily I've never experienced something exactly like that. But um, I will say that people tend to think of their their to-do list as the most important thing. So if somebody has something to, if they have a list of things to do, they're obviously going to prioritize what directly affects them. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the biggest things that you'll find when working or having to collaborate with a lot of teams is that people are always going to think that what they need to do is the most important thing and that your project doesn't matter. And and that's absolutely normal. I mean, I do it myself all the time. Of course, I think of this project as my baby and I want things to get done for it. But I think when it comes to actually getting things done effectively, it's very important that you're having consistent communi- consistent and clear communication and guidelines. So one of the things that I did was I created a project roadmap. And in this project roadmap, there is clear deadlines for every single item. That way people can prioritize their to-do list however they want. But at the same time, they still have that deadline that kind of forces people. It's kind of like when you were in college mm-hmm. and you had a paper to write. 
and they told you you can turn it in any time at the end of the semester. You were probably going to be doing it the week before it was due because people just work better on deadlines. I work better on deadlines. Whenever I get asked to do anything, I always tell them, when do you want this fight? Because that helps me map out my goals more effectively. Now, I will say that previously, not in my current job, but previously I did come off, I, I, they may not have told it to, said it to me directly, but I did come off at one point as if I was just giving orders. And I felt like people thought of me as an entitled millennial because I was just always voicing my opinion. And it wasn't received in the right way. And what I can say about that is that if you are in a place that does not value what you have to say and that is not taking what you have to say seriously because you are an entitled millennial, quote unquote, then that's probably not the place for you. You need to be at a place where you can voice your concerns freely and that people aren't going to judge you because of your age or because of your race or because of your gender. You need to be at a place that just listens to you because that's what you were hired to do. You were hired to give your opinion, your inputs, and to actually get things done. And if what you have to say doesn't matter to that group or that team of people, then that's not the team for you. I mean, you need to start exploring other opportunities because the right place is going to give you the liberty to voice those concerns freely. And that's one of the things that I actually really do love about my job now is that every time I have something that I'm not necessarily on board with or I have a concern, I can say it freely without feeling like I'm going to be judged for it. And it's all about, it's all that's what it's all about. It's about being at a place where you truly feel comfortable enough to be yourself. Yeah. And now that you, you know, you've been living in Seattle and you're working in, currently in the tech industry, when was that moment when you decided, I want to help other women enter the tech space because you said it yourself, you know, it's really hard. You know, you have to get a master's in order to get into that first filter and you're currently in girls who code. How did that opportunity come to be? Did you approach it? Um, and what do you do there? Specifically yep. going more in depth. So girls who code actually Amazon did a collaboration with them where they were, they had a summer program for, for teenage girls, and I saw that opportunity and I immediately jumped on it because I am all for women empowerment. And I think when it comes to exploring what we are capable of, it's important to start young because as children, we tend to look for other people that look like us and we we looked at them to see what we ourselves are capable of. So I know for myself, when I was, when I was young, I would look at people um, that were Latinas, and I would look to them and see, oh, well, this person does this, this person does this. I can perhaps explore opportunities like that as well. So it's important to introduce young girls and, and children in general, introduce them to the the world of tech and the world of, of anything, really. Just introduce them to possibilities at a very early age so they start tapping into those. So I saw that opportunity. I reached out um, because this is a very tech-focused program in Girls Who Code. I was honestly a little afraid that they wouldn't consider my application because I, I do work in marketing, but because I have a Master of Science and I actually do code on a, you know, on a 50% basis at work, they they were open to that. And I got matched up with this wonderful girl, Cameron, and we walked through a lot of different steps, not only about coding, but we also talked about you know, what social media does to your self-esteem and how that ends up affecting what the opportunities that you pursue. So it was just a well-rounded experience. And I highly recommend that, you know, if you, it, it really doesn't matter who you are, there's always something that you can give to others and we should be tapping into those opportunities. Yeah. And 
you know, now that you're in Amazon and you've had some time working here and you're doing that, accomplishing your project, and you went through this uh, earlier in the episode, but maybe our listeners want to work in Amazon. What can you share to them? What What is Amazon looking for specifically in the marketing team, in the prime team? What are you looking for in a person to join your team? I would say we're definitely looking for people who are thinking outside the box. Amazon is very big on being customer oriented and customer focused. So even though you might think, oh, I worked in retail, it has absolutely nothing to do. You worked with customers on a day-to-day basis. So you always have to think about how your previous experience, even if you were a waitress, even if you were worked at a call center like I did, it doesn't matter. All of those experience help shape you in a more well-rounded way. And if you think about it, a lot of those entry-level positions, such as, you know, working in retail, that is one of the best ways to gather customer experience. And that is going to help you not only in the tech industry, but any opportunity that you seek in leadership going forward, it's going to help you because it all starts with the customer. So don't feel bad if you have to take other opportunities. Don't feel bad about your background. Use it to your advantage because everyone's diverse background is what's going to help them in the future. So Amazon's just looking for people who have different ideas to bring to the table. And if you come from a unique background, that's actually going to help you. It's going to help you and it's going to set you apart from everyone else. That's great to hear. Thank you for sharing that advice. And now that you know you shared a bit about Girls Who Code, you decided to open Mujeres on the Rise. And for our listeners who may not be well known of that project, that amazing project, how did that sparking you why did you create it um and what do you share on that platform yes so mujeres on the rise is all about giving women career and lifestyle tips and through this experience or through this platform i share different career advice whether it comes to how to deal with job search rejection or how to find your dream job or how to overcome um workplace conflicts All of that. I cover everything. But at the same time, I also bring other women and I feature them on this platform as well. So how it works is that every single week I pick a topic. So let's just say dealing with job search rejection. And I talk about that topic from Monday through Wednesday. And then on Thursday, I bring a guest speaker onto the platform to share their experience about job search rejection or the topic and just share their their experience about the topic. And this gives us an opportunity to not only learn from my experiences, but it gives you the opportunity to also learn from someone else who has also been through that. So it's about, you know, gathering these different voices of different women and sharing our learnings and our lessons with with everyone else. Because I strongly believe that, you know, if I share what I know with, with everybody and they share what they know, that's going to make us, you know, it's going to make us better and it's going to make us more well-rounded. So it's important that we that I not only share what I've learned, but that everybody comes to this platform, or that's what I'm hoping, that everyone comes to this platform and just shares what they know as well so that we can all learn from each other. And I think that's something that we can do better at as women because we often tend to compare ourselves to other women or bring ourselves down, and that's something that really irks me is that, you know, we shouldn't be in competition with with our with each other. We sh- The only competition we should ever have is the competition that we're in with ourselves. And because of that, we should not have this fear of, or scarcity of of scarcity of knowledge instead we should really just share everything that we know and let other people learn from it because 
at the end of the day, nobody is going to be able to do what you do the same way that you do. And I've talked about this before on Mujeres on the Rise is that I, if I'm honest, I've withheld information because I was afraid that somebody was going to do what I did better than me. And I think this is a constant fear in women is that, you know, if somebody asks you something, you're not going to tell them everything because they might just do it better than you and outshine you. And that needs to stop. Nobody is ever going to be able to do something the exact same way that you do it. So why not share that knowledge with them so that then they can go out there and do their own thing and then come back and share with you. It's all about that, you know, exchange of, of knowledge. Yeah. And I, I, I've said this to you before, but I'm so happy that you decided to create Mujeres on the Rise because I would have loved at the age of 15 to have had this platform so I could start preparing myself, being more knowledgeable in terms of um, going to interviews, of dealing with job projections because I've been to interviews and where I felt like I had lost something. I had lost the, pot, the, the life that I had imagined myself having in that job, you know? And since seeing Mujeres on the Rise and the tips that they share, it's great. And it's great because I feel not many Latinas have options for us that is centrally focused on us, on our experiences and our upbringing. And you said something really true, that you were afraid of sharing your knowledge because you thought people were going to outshine you. And I feel that's something so common in our Latino community. We don't help people of we don't help our people because we're afraid they're gonna go uh, on top of us and be better at that and I'm happy that you're changing that you know I as well am changing that because I feel if we're united we can all succeed and you're definitely doing that with Mujeres on the Rise and I want to go more deeper now on Mujeres <laughs> on the Rise let's do it so you talked about a, about a topic of work and life balance. And I want to ask first, how do you um, achieve that balance in your work? Because you're working in Amazon, you're doing <laughs> Girls Who Code, and you have Mujeres on the Rise. Plus, you have a marriage. Plus, you have a relationship with yourself. So how do you achieve that? Or how do you work towards achieving that balance? And can you share maybe some tips to our listeners so we can incorporate into our lives honestly if I'm, if, if I'm completely transparent I don't know how I do it <laughs> sometimes I wonder that that exact same question myself but it is very difficult and I'm glad you brought up the marriage part as well because that that itself is a lot of work because you want to make sure that you're investing time in your marriage and dedicating time to the people that you love so that involves your family your pet your friends all of that is included in there and then also, besides work, Mujeres on the Rise, I also have to try to make time to work out and just take care of my overall well-being. So it's very difficult, but my, my biggest tip is to definitely have a schedule. I am a sucker for planners. I've been using planners since I was 18, and every week what I go with, what I do is I plan out my exact schedule for that week. And I find that that's the best way to keep myself accountable. And the next thing that you can do is develop some kind of buddy system. And, and what I mean by this is that if you let's say you have a side hustle, try to find someone um, that also has a side hustle and push each other to work on it. I actually have a friend. I made a very good friend here in Seattle. Her name is Michelle. And we meet every Monday and Wednesday after work to work on our side hustles. 
And that just keeps us accountable and it makes sure that we are constantly working, that we're always doing something. But my general schedule, just to give you a little bit of an idea of how it works, is I usually go to work um, from, let's just say, 8.30 to 4. Go to work, come home, do Mujeres on the Rise. That usually takes about an hour and a half. Even though my stories, they are, they tend to be about, I would say, total about 15 minutes. It takes a lot more time than that because I have to do the research, compile exactly what I'm going to say, what are the tips I'm going to be giving, and then I write down every single point that I want to make sure I'm making clear to my viewers. So that takes about an hour and a half. So let's say I got off of work at 4.30, work on Mujeres on the Rise until, let's say, 6 or 6.30. After that, I go work out. So now it's 7.30. Then I have to come home and make dinner. And which is something that I love to do. I do it because I love it. I mean, I love to eat, so I have to cook. <laughs> so um, then I make dinner, come home, and then I finally spend time with, with my husband and we watch TV and we just relax together. But it's this constant balance. And of course, working in tech, and again, this isn't specific to tech, but when you're working in a very demanding job, there is going to be times when you have so much work that you can't possibly get it done during working hours because whether it be because you're in meetings all day or whatever the case may be, there is going to be times. And just to give you an example, this last week, I had to work every single evening. So I did Mujeres on the Rise, worked out, came back home, worked somewhere, had to work every single evening. And that's not something that I like to do. It's something that I really try to stay away from. But sometimes things just have to be done, right? And it's all about that balance. If you are taking if you are having to work on some evenings, then leave earlier the next day. So Friday, I got off of work early because I just needed that mental break. And I think it's important to recognize and to listen to your body because that's really important. It's really important that you're listening to yourself. And if your body is telling you, I need a break, I need to sleep in, do it. I slept till 10.30 a.m. this morning. I'm not ashamed to say it because I desperately needed it. I had worked so hard this week. I did so much and I, I, my body just needed that break. And if your body needs it, it's important that you do it because if you're not taking care of your mental health, if you're not taking care of your physical health, you're not going to be able to work anymore. You're not going to be able to work on your side hustle. So it's important that you're not neglecting the most crucial parts of your life, which are your family, your friends, your mental health, and your physical well-being. That comes before everything else. It comes before your job because if those things are not in sync, nothing else in your life is going to be able to function at its full capacity. Yes, and I think I'm going to definitely incorporate some of those tips because I feel myself doing ellas. I also have my zine, Young Ignorantes, and I also have my full-time job, but I also have my <laughs> friendships, and I also do my other podcasts about film, Totally Fandom, and it's really hard finding that balance, you know, and allowing yourself that break because I feel a lot of young people right now and you said something earlier with social media, we're so constantly working and doing things that we don't let ourselves just take a break and listen to our bodies until it's maybe too late that you're like super burned out and you can't do anything else. And I'm glad that you're being transparent with us because it's all about that. You know, it's being truthful and connecting with other people that, hey, are also trying to achieve that. Now, going to my second topic. Sure. Latino representation and unity. 
going back to what your to your words of saying you didn't want to share that the knowledge that you knew to other women and maybe to other Latinas. When was that moment when you decided I'm just gonna get over this? I'm gonna share my knowledge. I'm gonna I'm gonna be a representative of my community of my heritage, and I'm gonna be united with my other Latinas in the workspace and outside of it. There was a I don't know exactly when it started, but I want to say it was in grad school. Something came over me. Actually, it was definitely in grad school, and I'll tell you why. When I arrived to my first day of orientation in grad school, I remember we were having this big like breakfast assembly. I want to call it a breakfast assembly. That's not the, the right term. But anyways, we were having this breakfast introduction. And I remember getting to a table, and you know there wasn't a side seating or anything. So I get to a table, sit down, look around me, and I swear there was not one Latino anywhere. Now I went to UT in Austin, and I turned to me, and every single girl that I looked that I that I saw around me in that table looked like she had just stepped out of a J. Crew catalog, and that's the only way I can describe it. They were all beautiful, tall, blonde. None of them looked like me, and 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 I mean I'm five two. I felt so small. I, I felt so small. I had never felt so small in my life. And I felt so out of place. Like I immediately thought, like the university made a mistake. Like they, like I clearly do not belong here. I don't look like any of these people. They all look like they have their life together. Like they come from wealthy families. They're all wearing expensive clothes. And like I just felt so small. And the, the first three months of grad school, until I made some really good friends there, the first three months were very tough. Because not only did no one look like me, but I was taking all these very difficult courses. Um, statistics, I'll give you that example. I never took statistics in high school because I dropped out of high school. And so everything that everyone else was learning, it was, it was assuming that you already had that basic foundation, which I did not have. And so I had to go back and learn things that everyone else had already learned in high school, in addition to what we were learning in class. And those first two months of grad school, I I seriously thought to myself, I told my friend, um, I told her, I am going to drop out. Like, I cannot, I can't do this. I'm having to learn things that are completely outside of the box for me, and they're completely outside of my comfort zone. I just can't. And... I think, you know, after having overcome that first semester and really just giving it my all, I realized that it was very important to put myself out there and my experiences because chances are that if I, as a Latina, was going through this, there were other Latinas out there that were also experiencing these barriers. And I think that's when I really learned that I needed to tell people that if I could do it, Anybody could really do it, and I wanted to give people that opportunity. And I actually have a niece. She's um, 14, I want to say. Yeah, she's 14. And, you know, I want her to grow up knowing that life doesn't have to be, that life goes further than what you see in your own household. Life goes further than what you see in your backyard or what you see in your school. There's so much more out there, and we need to explore that, and we need to put ourselves out there. And just because you grew up in a household um with, you know, limited resources, that doesn't mean that has to be the life for you. You can go out there and change it. And in order for me to do that, in order for me to successfully show her and other young, young girls out there what they're, what they're capable of, I need to, I need to put myself in the spotlight. 
a little bit. I really need to show people that, you know, I came from nothing and I've worked hard for what I have now. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. And that's kind of how Mujeres on the Rise group. Um, I initially wanted it to be a YouTube channel, and I explored with this possibility back in January, but then I ended up moving to Seattle, and things kind of shifted, and I'm actually really glad that they ended up shifting and that I ended up starting through Instagram, because Instagram is a really great platform to just leverage other people's voices, which is what Mujeres on the Rice is all about. It's not just about my story. It's about, you know, all of the stories that we all have to share, and that's been the best way that... Honestly, I'm just so lucky that I that I somehow created this platform and that it's grown so much. And I'm I'm very excited to continue to see it grow and to continue to bring amazing women on onto the platform and leverage their stories and, and learnings with everyone. Yes, and you've had amazing speakers on Mujeres on the Rise, from marketer, you know, responsible for the NFL team, which I'm really curious about what team it is, but I know she didn't say it for her own reasons, to financial stability, to having, you know, those financial goals for yourself and like those little steps, which I love because I've been reading lately and it's saying like these goals that really seem far-fetched for me. But you, you're able, you're speakers and you're able to concentrate in a way that I think, oh, it's possible for me to be financially stable if I just do this one tip. And that's amazing. And I feel like I'm happy that we're seeing a lot of projects geared toward Latinos, geared toward Latinas, and sharing that knowledge and sharing those tips because... I feel like before we didn't have that. And now with social media, we were giving that platform of voicing our stories or voicing our history. And going to the third topic, how to achieve financial freedom. Can you share with our listeners maybe three tips, three baby basic tips that we can do in order to enjoy our life, but also not stressing and trying to deliver, well, paying our debts and because obviously we have student loans, we have credits to build, we have car payments, we have our utilities. What's two or three tips that you can share with us today that you also incorporate sure. into your life? <laughs> sure. So one of the things that I that I talked about earlier, I, I think it was this week, is that you know having money isn't everything. Having money definitely does not buy having uh, happiness, but not having money is a big deal. So yes, money might not be everything, but when you don't have it, that's when you really start to struggle, not only with your day-to-day life, but with everything. Because once you don't have money, everything around you just seems to be going wrong. And when you think about personal finance, it's all about making short-term sacrifices for long-term gain. And what that means is balance. The the, the first rule that I always come, come back to is a rule known as the 50-30-20 rule. And what this rule is about is about, you know, 50% of your finances should go to your basic needs, rent, car payment, all of that. 30% should go into your wants. So things that you want to spend your money on, whether it be concerts or travel or handbag, um, which is my biggest weakness, but you, you get the point. And then the remaining 20% should automatically be going into a savings account. And by following this basic concept, you can start to manage your money better and really give your money a purpose. Because if you just let the money come into your account 
and sit in your checking account, what you're going to be doing or finding yourself doing is that you're just constantly swiping, swiping, and swiping. And then at the end of the month or at the beginning of the month when you have to pay your, your rent, you're going to be like, whoa, I don't have money or I don't have enough to pay my rent. So it's all about being purposeful with your money. If you assign your money to a specific category or a specific purpose, you're going to be more intentional with how you're spending it. So you might go out to eat less often because the 30% of your wants category has already been has already been used up and you know that you can't touch that other 50% or that other 20%. So definitely do a little bit more research on that. It's called the 50-30-20 rule. Definitely recommend it. It's the it's a super basic principle that I hope that I hope will get you where you need to go. My second tip is to create an emergency fund. And Emergency funds are very important, and I think one of the biggest takeaways that I want to give you is that even if you are in a marriage or in a stable um, relationship, it's important that as women you have your own emergency fund as well. And this is something that my grandma taught me, is that you never know how things are going to go. And it's not because you don't have faith in your marriage or in your relationship, but it's more so about giving yourself that financial freedom. There's nothing more liberating than knowing that if something goes wrong, you can take care of yourself. And I have an emergency fund with my with my spouse, but I also have one for myself. And it just it's all about that peace of mind. Peace of mind is something that you can't put a price tag on. And I really love knowing that, you know, worst comes to worst, I am perfectly well suited to take care of myself. Um, my last tip is to pay off your debt, and this is something that we can talk on, that we can talk about for a long time. It's very it's a very important topic. But it's really important that you are consolidating your debt as much as you can, as you can, because your debt restricts your monthly income. The more debt you have, the less money you have for all of your other expenses month to month. So my biggest um, debt right now is grad school, and that's something that I'm putting a lot of money towards on a month, a month to month basis. But you should set yourself goals, and when it comes to paying off your debt, there are two ways that you can go about it. You can either pay off. Um, the accounts that have the large interest rate, or you can pay off the accounts with the smallest balance. I personally opted to pay off the accounts with the smallest balance first because it gives me that sense of making progress. And if you see yourself making progress, you are you're motivated to con- to carry on with the with the goal. But definitely evaluate your own situation and, and take it from there. But know that it is possible, and it doesn't really matter how much money you make if you're being intentional with your funds you're going to be able to sustain the kind of life that you want. Amazing. And you also mentioned about networking. What are the three best tips that you can share with us that you also incorporated into your life? Because you said you networked before getting the job in Amazon. And I feel like our listeners who are young women, young Latinas, I myself before had no idea how to network. I had I even was afraid of that word. How do you do it? What do you recommend in order to see it as something positive to help you personally and professionally? Because I feel like as a young person, there's fear in that word a bit. Can you share with us three tips? Definitely. So yes, networking was always something that I was very terrified of as well. Being an introvert, it, it, it honestly gives me anxiety to step up step up to someone that I don't know and start introducing myself. And I learned the hard way that networking is very important. I learned once I was struggling to find a job after grad school. And my biggest tips for networking are to approach people 
on a one-to-one basis. That's something that really helped me. I've gone to networking events where it's a lot of people, and honestly, I think it's just not for me. I, I definitely think you have to try it, and you have to put yourself out there. But for me to sit down with a, let's just say, a group of 10 or 15 people and introduce me, myself to all of them and have a conversation with all of them, that's too much. Um, so yes, go to the networking event, but if you don't do well with the large group, approach people one by one, and that might be an easier way to go about it. The second tip is to leverage online networking. Online is the easiest way for introverts such as myself to put themselves out there. Now, there are three platforms that I recommend using, the first one being LinkedIn, which I'm sure everyone is familiar with. But if you go on LinkedIn, you have your professional profile set up. You can just reach out to people by message and say, hey, I would love to chat more about your career and what you do. Send them a quick message and then you can set up a call. The other two platforms I think are a lot less recognized. The first, the second one being Bumble Biz. So Bumble, we all know, has a dating app, but they also have Bumble Biz, which is leveraged or used to make professional connections. And what I really like about Bumble Biz is that you can informally approach someone and just start having an informal conversation about what they like about their career, what they don't like, and go from there. The third platform is an application or an app called Shaper. Now, Shaper is very new, so a lot of people don't know about it. But what I really like about it is that it's essentially the Tinder of professionals. And you get to either swipe left or swipe right for people who have your same professional interests. And when you do match up with somebody, you already know that you've, you've matched. There's already that initial connection with them. And you can talk about your career. You can talk about other things. And I, I've personally had a lot of success with Shaper, and I think because it's so new, I mean, I just, I really love it. Um, I think what makes them different from Bumblebiz is that their algorithm is amazing. It matches you with people that actually have the same background or similar backgrounds than you. And that's the difference between between them and Bumblebiz. Bumblebiz just matches you with people randomly. Um, so Shaper is a lot more intentional in that regard. So definitely explore those three. It's all about just baby steps. You know, if you don't match somebody, with somebody, you don't hit it off and you don't have that, you know, that instant dynamic, you just move on to somebody else. But, you know, just know that if you're nervous when you're introducing yourself to someone, chances are they are too. So at least you have that in common. That's so great. I didn't know about Shaper. I knew about Bumblebiz since my days back in living in Mexico. But Shaper, I'm definitely going to, you know, download that app and start using it. I personally... For our listeners, I want to add Instagram. If you use it the right way, <laughs> it could definitely be a great networking tool. I myself, the many guests that I've had on AES, I've had through Instagram, you know, and it's always the intention that you use behind, I guess. And after this episode, I'm definitely going to download Shaper, get research it because now that I'm a 26 year old doing my side hustles, I love to network. I love to meet new people, hearing their stories, and yes, finding a way for us to collaborate with. I see it. I feel another way to take the fear out of networking is to you see it in a positive light of how you can connect with people. Not maybe yes in professional terms, but also personally. You know, their experiences can help you grow and learn something new. And... My last topic that I want to touch with you, Melba, is job rejection. Can you share with us 
What did you do in that time when you were rejected from the first tech company? You said that it felt like you had lost something, someone. And I, I can definitely, I felt connected to that. And maybe can you share with our listeners the experience that you went through, what you did, what pulled you out of that sadness and to just go and just apply. And three tips to our listeners that maybe are going through that job rejection. What can they do? How can they find the light and be sure that it's not over? There's another job for them and it's the best job for them. Uh, sure. So first of all, I, I want to start by saying that when I when I had that last interview, I was at the last stage, I went to the on-site interview, I was sure that I got the job. And I think that's what made it very difficult is I walked out of there very confident in, in how, how I did. I felt very strongly about my interviewing skills. I built rapport with people. We laughed. I answered their questions. And again, a lot of work had gone into that interview. I spent hours and hours. I did note cards on what questions I would be asked. I practiced. I rehearsed with my husband. I rehearsed with friends. I had mock interviews. I did it all. And I think that's what made it very hard when I finally got that rejection was that, you know, giving it my all at the end of the day wasn't good enough, or at least that's how I felt. And I I was at home when I got that notice, um, when I got that email, and I immediately broke down in tears. And if I reminisce on it and I start thinking about the experience, it honestly sounds silly to me. It sounds silly that I would have, that I cried so much over something that at the end of the day doesn't matter. Like we all deal with rejection. We're all going to fail in our careers at one point or another. We're all going to deal with bad managers or managers that don't like us or coworkers who talk behind our back. Like it's going to happen. And at the end of the day, that's not going to define your life and it doesn't make or break who you are. And I think that's the biggest thing for me is that at that point in time, when I got that rejection, I thought my career was over. I thought if I work so hard at something and I still fail at it, like, I mean, nothing else that I do matters. Like, it doesn't really matter how hard I work. Life is just a gamble. That's how I felt. I felt like life is shitty. It's, it's a gamble. It's kind of all like a hit or miss. And it doesn't really matter how much work you put into things because at the end of the day, what's going to happen is going to happen. And that's a, uh, that's a bad mentality to have, right? You should always be working hard. And tip number one for everybody out there is to give yourself time. Give yourself time to mourn the loss of that job. And I know, again, it sounds silly to say mourn the loss of something that you didn't have to begin with. But if you work so hard at something and you've spent months on something you feel like it's yours at the end of the day and you need to give yourself time to cry. You need to give yourself time to, to build yourself back up again. So that's definitely tip number two. Now, tip number one, tip number two is once you've already given yourself time to cry, you've already gone through that angry phase where you start blaming others for how you did on the interview and all of that. Tip number two is to really try to sit down and think about your experience from an outside perspective and try to learn from it. Think about what you could have done better. And this is going to be very hard to do because it's very hard to sometimes see where things went wrong and to be completely honest with yourself. It's hard to be honest with yourself when the truth is not something that you want to hear. And 
it's a necessary step. It's necessary for you to sit down there and write down what you could have done differently. But that's what I did. After months, because it took me months to finally get over it, um, after those months, I sat down and I thought, well, what could have I done differently? And I think what, where I went wrong is that I maybe practiced too much, and I fear that maybe it sounded a little rehearsed. And yes, you want to practice for things, but you don't want that to dull your personality or your individuality. Mm-hmm. You want any rapport that you build with someone to be completely natural and on the spot. You don't want it to seem rehearsed. And that was something difficult. That was a difficult pill to swallow. My third tip is to definitely, definitely just reach out to the recruiter. And this is something you should do earlier. I mean, it's definitely, these are not in order, but reach out to the recruiter and to even the hiring manager if you can and ask them for advice. Now, I will say that different companies have different policies on this, and they may not necessarily share what, you know, any information about your performance, but it's worth a shot, and you're not going to know unless you ask. So reach out, ask what you could have done better, and at the end of the day, no matter how times you are rejected, don't be afraid to stand up and try again, because it only takes one yes, and one yes can change your entire life, and you're never going to get that yes unless you try. Mm. So just recognize that even the best of people um, are rejected. And not everybody's going to like you. It's okay if not everybody likes you. Not every team is going to be a good fit. That's perfectly fine too. But once you find your opportunity, it's it's going to be game-changing. And you need to continue. You need to try. Yes. And now that you're succeeding in tech you're you know doing so amazing at amazon and doing look at us on the rise what do you wish to have in the future in terms of your career where do you see yourself what can we see more of you from this year and maybe the next coming of 2020 oh that's a hard one um i would say at this point i definitely want to grow within amazon or yeah, I want to grow more specifically within the marketing industry. I want to become a more well-rounded marketer. And for that to happen, I need to take on more responsibilities. I need to put myself through even more failure because that's the only way to learn. And I really need to just continue to do research on my own. You know, you never stop learning. And just because you're out, out of college doesn't mean that you should stop reading. It doesn't mean that you should stop researching or networking with others. It's a constant, it's a constant cycle that never ends. More importantly, where I think I want to be is I want to grow Mujeres on the Rise. And the reason I put so much emphasis on this and the reason why it's so important to me, it's, it's again, because it's a pl- this is a platform. I'm creating a platform that I wish I would have had. You know, being a first-generation college student, everything I've done in my life, I've learned and I've had to do myself. I've had to learn it all on my own. And, of course, of course, there's been people who have helped me along the way, and I'm forever grateful to those people. But I've had to learn through a lot of trial and error. And I want to make Mujeres on the Rise a platform where people can go to for advice, for the things that nobody else tells you. Because, again, there is this constant fear of scarcity of knowledge. And you don't want to share what you know because you don't want anybody to copy you. I want to change that. I want people to be able to come to Mujeres on the Rise and get all of that information that others are too afraid to tell you. And I want the platform to grow and for younger women to really see 
what to see their own potential, to see what the world what the world can be if they just tap into their own fears. Yes. And I feel like you're definitely pulling from that experience of entering that breakfast session in your masters and seeing yourself like the only Latina and you know, I, I want to go back through that and what do you want in the tech industry for Latinas? Where do you want things to change and evolve specifically? Yes. For women, but specifically for Latinas, because I feel like there's not a, yes, there's a lot of Latinas, but not as much as the rest. No, definitely. So I'm, I'm the only Latina on my team. And I, I feel like sometimes there's this negative connotation with Latinas, right? Yes. There's this, there's this connotation that, or this idea that Latinas are too loud, we're too abrasive, we can't control our emotions. I've heard it all, right? And I want that to change. I feel like, in order for people's perception to change, we need to put ourselves out there in a positive light, and we need to show people who we truly are. Because yeah, I mean, we're loud sometimes, but who cares? At the end of the day, that doesn't make us any less valuable than somebody else. And what I want to change for Latinas is I want Latinas to have a voice outside of you know their their own communities with other Latinas. I want Latinas to have a voice everywhere that they go. For Latinas to be heard and not be objectified. For Latinas to not be seen as less intelligent or less capable than anybody else. We are just as capable. But the thing is, people don't know that. And unless we go out there and we show them what we are capable of and present ourselves in this positive light, people are always going to have those those perceptions. So we need to work together to, to change that. And now that, you know, we've talked through these amazing stories that you've had, and your story isn't over, you know, you're continually working and accomplishing things. I want you to just look back and what would you say to little Melba if you had the opportunity to see her again and knowing what she went through, what advice would you give her? Uh, that's that's interesting. So <laughs> that's kind of hard. Um, I think my biggest advice would be to stop worrying about what other people are saying about you. I'm going to share something that I don't share with a lot of people, but when I was younger, I used to be very chubby, and um, I had two sisters who were beautiful and thin, and I felt like I could never measure up to who they were, and I grew up constantly comparing myself to them, and I used to feel like people thought, She's, she can't be related to them, like, there's no way, like, look at them and look at her, and I always grew up with this with this constant battle with myself of trying to trying to show other people that I too was worthy, right? And my biggest advice would be to stop focusing on other people. Like you have no idea the power that lives within yourself. You need to learn to love yourself first and foremost before anything else can work out in your life. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And what would you share? What advice would you share to our listeners who are going through that? You know, through they don't feel worthy enough because of their weight. They don't feel worthy enough because they had to get out of high school and they're working a realtor job, but they want to change careers. They they desire to have a life that they've been visioning. What advice do you give to our listeners who are living who are living what you went through? My advice would be to, and then, I mean, this may sound kind of bad, hopefully not, but honestly, screw everybody else. Like, 
people if they people aren't paying your bills they have their opinion should not matter at the end of the day so if people are telling you that you're not capable of something if people are doubting you if people are objectifying you or making you feel less than so what like honestly they can go screw themselves for lack of a better word don't focus on what other people are saying or what other people are doing you stay in your lane and do not do not compete with others don't try to compete with others don't compare yourself to others again we are all individual individual and unique and nobody's story is going to be exactly the same and things happen at a different rate for everyone so just because somebody is getting married at the age of 24 and having children and they have a house and a Porsche or whatever it is that people want that doesn't mean that it has that same timeline applies to you everybody's timeline is different it's okay if you get married at 40 it's okay if you get married at 23 it's okay if you don't get married at all you don't have to try to live up to other people's expectations. All that should matter to you is your own expectations for yourself. Those are the only expectations that you should try to measure up to. And yeah, I mean, I feel like as women, we have so much pressure on ourselves. We have pressure to have a job. And then there's this pressure to be a good wife, pressure to clean, cook. We have this expectation that we have to be good mothers, good sisters. We have to go through child labor. We have to go through menstrual things. We have to, we have so many expectations of us. You have to have a good body. You're expected to look good every single morning. You're expected to always be your best. You're expected to be proper, polite. Don't say bad words. Don't cross your legs. Don't do this. Don't do that. Honestly, that there's just so many expectations that it's ridiculous and it's unfair. It's unfair for women to have these so many expectations when men don't. Men don't have all of these expectations of them. And I really want to change that. I want people to stop. I want women to stop being other people's idea of perfect. Mm-hmm. Like be your own damn version of perfect and screw everybody else that doesn't like it. If you want to swear, you swear. If you don't want to get married, don't get married. You don't want to have children, don't have children. Stop doing all of these things just because people feel that it's expected of you because you are a woman. Like that's bullshit. It's bullshit to expect women to cook every night or to clean the house every night while still having a job and still taking care of their children and still doing all of these other things. Like, that's ridiculous. And if you are not with somebody that is giving you that equal partnership and that is not viewing you as an equal in a relationship, honestly, you're better off on your own. I mean, like, nobody has time for for that. (laughs) Definitely. No, no, no. We're working towards our career and ourselves. Nobody has time for it shitty relationship and (laughs) I'm glad I'm glad that you shared this and I'm so happy that you have a very supportive partnership that you have a job that you love because you deserve it you know you've worked so many years to have this and you're continuing just furthering our representation our unity our knowledge with Mujeres on the Rise you're a badass you're a truly chingona and I'm so happy (laughs) that you know you're doing it, that you're here with us with Ajas, that you've shared this story with me. And thank you. Thank you for doing what you're doing right now because it may seem small, but in 10, 15 years, other Latinas are going to see what, you do, what you're doing and say, I can do that too. I can be there. I can work in Amazon and I can open up my own tech company. You know, so thank you. <laughs> yes, I love that. No, thank you so much for having me, Brenda. I, I really love what you're doing with AES as well. And uh, this is what we need more of. We need more Latinas out there just showing other people that, you know, the possibilities are endless. They really are. Yes. And can you share with our listeners 
where they can follow you if they want to connect, ask advice, tips. Where can they follow Mujeres on the Rise? And yeah, all your social media contact. Yeah, sure. So my personal Instagram is Melba underscore Tellez. So feel free to follow me on there. And you will also find a reference there in my bio to Mujeres on the Rise. So definitely follow me on Mujeres on the Rise. I'm continuously working on building that platform. It's a never-ending job. What you do with a podcast such as Ellas and what you do with these platforms, you know, a lot of times people think that, you know, having your own, your side hustle and being an entrepreneur is easy. You get to work on your own time, but it's, you're honestly, you never stop working. And I would love it if you can support this platform, support Ellas podcast, support other Latinas who are making their dreams come true because it's important. So again, Mujeres on the Rise, Melba underscore Tellez and yeah, definitely see, um, reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. If you want to talk about getting a job in tech, I'd be happy to help you out and give you all of the nitty gritty details on, on what you can do to land your, land your opportunity. Awesome. Yes. And I follow you on LinkedIn and I love the article that you published about the best ways of posting social media. I'm now going to incorporate it, see, test it out, experiment what works for me on a yes. And thank you. Thank you for always providing informative, educational tips and knowledge and i'm just so honored that you know we're part of our ecosystem and i wish the best for mujeres on the rise please check out their tips it's so amazing and inspiring and thank you for listening to another episode here on yes i hope you enjoyed this you can listen to a new episode in two weeks you can follow me at AS the podcast, E double L A S the podcast, and email me your story if you want to be here on AS, and I would be so happy to share it. It's at AS the podcast at gmail.com, E double L A S the podcast at gmail.com, and follow me that's B R E N underscore J A I. Thank you again. I'll be talking with you and sharing a new story in two weeks, and adios. Bye. Bye. If you've been listening to AS for a while, you know that I'm a big supporter of providing a platform for Latinas to share their stories and inspire current and future generations of women. With that said, I'm looking to get this podcast into the lives of more amazing Latinas just like you. You can help by going to Apple Podcasts and write a review. Tell me what you think and leave any number of stars. It would mean the world to me. Thank you in advance. Ellas is produced, hosted, and edited by me, Brenda Hernandez Jaimes. And thank you to Shro, who created the podcast theme song, Sunken Streets. You can download this track on freemusic.org or listen to him on Spotify, YouTube, and follow him on Instagram. This is Ellas.